You may have a, a stand. <laughs> and we're going to read Luke chapter 22. And we're going to be in verses 53. We're going to read one of the verses that we read last week again. And uh, so that it's kind of a transitionary overlap type thing. So, um, so we're going to do a little bit of overlap from last week. So grab your Bible and stand with me, if you will. This is for the reading, for the honoring of the reading of God's word here this morning. So, here we are. <clears throat> Luke 22, verses 53 through 71. Every day while I was with you in the temple, you never laid a hand on me. But this is your hour and the dominion or prince of darkness. They seized him, led him away, and brought him into the high priest's house. Meanwhile, Peter was following at a distance. They lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, and Peter sat among them. When a servant saw him sitting in the light and looked closely at him, she said, Oh, this, this man was with him too. But he denied it. Oh, woman, I don't know him. After a little while, someone else saw him and said, You're one of them too. Man, I am not, Peter said. About an hour later, another kept insisting, This man was certainly with him, since he's also a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. Then the Lord turned and looked at Peter. So Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. The men who were holding Jesus started mocking and beating him. After blindfolding him, they kept asking, Prophesy! Who was it that hit you? And they were saying many other blasphemous things to him. When daylight came, the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the scribes, convened and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They said, if you are the Messiah, the Messiah, tell us. But he said to them, If I do tell you, you will not believe. And if I ask you, you will not even answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the power of God. They all asked, Are you then this Son of God? And he said to them, You say that I am. Why do we need any more testimony, they said since we've heard it ourselves from his mouth. Lord Jesus, I pray for a spirit of discernment here this morning. Lord, that we would hear the words that you are saying to us, your church. Lord, be present to lead us and guide us in wisdom. And Lord, to to break down the walls in our minds and in our hearts that keep us from following you, Lord, that keep us from being teachable and being uh, malleable for your use, Lord. Let us, be po- let us be clay in the potter's hands here this morning. Shape us, mold us, and uh, Lord, help us to have uh, breakthrough in our, in our souls here today. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> there is a movie called Ready Player One. Has anyone seen it? Oh, three people. Hey, right, there you go. So this movie is super nerdy. Basically what it is, anyone know what VR is? V- VR, anyone, anyone of the, the, the four that didn't raise their hands? VR, virtual reality, virtual reality. So there, there's a big movement now <coughs> that you take these little glasses and you put them on 
and you can go into what they call the metaverse. You can actually you can play games, you can do all sorts of stuff, but you can also go into a world that is an alternate reality. It's called the metaverse. Um, and I'll get into that in here in just a second. But the movie's all about this metaverse that they call the Oasis. And it's this basically this, this online world and they've basically like, you know, over, the earth has been so overgrown that they're stacking mobile homes and stuff on top of each other uh, and everything. And like these people don't even have to live high and mighty in their homes, their real homes. Oftentimes they've got like just a little shack, but they're like this big wig in the Oasis. They're like, everyone knows their name. They've got all this money. They've got all this, these, this rich, the, all these riches. They've got all this stuff <coughs> in the virtual world. Actually, uh, in seminary, it was part of my, my ministry and technology class. We, uh, gathered together and we talked about these different, you know, social media and media and, and the future of technology and how we as people in ministry, youth pastors especially, uh, could use technology for ministry. And there was two, there were already two churches in this thing called Second Life. And Second Life was a metaverse. It's this virtual reality place where you can walk around with your avatar. You can make real money. You can order real, real things in, in the metaverse and actually translate their, you know, currency into real cash, into real money. So you actually have your job in an alternate reality called Second Life. And LifeChurch.tv had a church, had owned an entire island. And they had a church building where your avatar could be like, you can make your, your character walk in there and sit down in a chair and watch a video screen of Craig, Craig Rochelle. And they had a little prayer, you know, prayer hut over on the island. And you could fly and all these different things. Meet with people and party with them on, on this church island. Then another one where the church was actually in the clouds because, you know, because real estate <clears throat> was a lot cheaper in the clouds. They owned just a little itty bitty building on the ground that they used for like, you know, discussions and, and community groups in the virtual space. So the only thing you knew of, of other people in this space was their avatar, which is their little character that you, that you design. You can make it look however you want, right? Well, there's this movie, Ready Player One, is all about that. But it's very interesting that we are not far from that reality. We're actually on the cusp of it right now. We are there, you know, back in October, oddly enough, my birthday, October 29th, last year, um, Mark Zuckerberg actually used the phrase meta. You know, the metaverse is the next step in human evolution, is what he was saying. Basically that all of humanity will exist inside of an alternate virtual reality. The word meta actually is Greek for after. It has this connotation of transcending this reality. I, I trade your reality and I trade it for a, for a better one, oftentimes is, is how it's said. I don't like reality, so I'm going to create a new one. And we do this in so many different ways. It's not even just like on a digital platform. People, we've been doing this for, for millennia in things like opium and drugs, alcohol. Even going and going to escape to the movies or to the to a play, you are escaping reality. It's one of the things I loved about Disneyland. I, I just found this out too recently. Is that Disneyland actually had contracts or has contracts with the government in California that they do not fly airplanes over Disneyland. You can't see anything of of reality outside of Disneyland. <coughs> like literally across the street, 
They have the walls and the roller coasters in such a way you can't see the convention center or hear the ambulances or anything about reality. They're creating a new reality for you at Disneyland. Going to the movies, why it's so dark and isolated. You are entering into a new reality. We've been trying to escape reality our whole lives. And we've been just getting better and better and better about doing it. And it's very interesting how in our world today that virtual reality, but not just virtual reality, but even augmented reality. So augmented reality, have you ever heard of Google Glass? So it's actually these glasses you can put on that's a computer. And it'll show you little things all around you. It'll show you, like, if you want to like navigate to the coffee shop down the street, you plug it in, you, you, you talk to your glasses, and it'll give you step-by-step directions. It'll, like, put an arrow in front of you. So you're like walking and it'll like have it like flashing on the side of the building and like you walk into it and you can see all the different specials and sales and people can do like this, all these different signs everywhere in augmented reality. They even had a thing called Pokemon Go several years back where you play Pokemon in real life with your phone, like running around trying to chase Pikachu and trying to find, you know, Pokemon. So it's bad. It's like our reality isn't interesting enough. And so we've got to create more in our own reality to make it satisfying enough. And it's really interesting. So the, the great theologian and scholar, uh, my friend Cody Whittington, uh, at, the, <laughs> at the table, um, and actually that is true. He is an incredible scholar. <laughs> um, so he talks about meta. So meta, he refers to meta. He's talking about Facebook's meta universe, metaverse. Meta, as a brand, diagnoses humanity's problem as pervasive disillusionment with reality and prescribes yet another illusion that escape is possible and preferable. Any ancient religion repackaged for a 21st century consumer. And so here this morning, our, our, our conversation is going to center around this concept, that God has grace for the teachable, but has silence for the incredulous. I'll get to, I'll get to the meaning of that word in, in, a, in, a, in a while. Um, for the incredulous. And so, first we're going to, so God has grace for the teachable. That, so we see these two trials. We see, we see Peter's trial that he failed. And then we see Jesus' trial that he succeeded. And so we see this, this contrast, this comparing and contrasting of two separate trials going on. <clears throat> so let's look at that first one. So grace for the teachable. So Peter's trial. Peter. <laughs> oh, Peter. Peter, 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 Peter. I think we can see ourselves most, most clearly in Peter, can't we? This, this guy you know, who's, who's trying to make it work, he's trying to do the right thing, and he just keeps messing up or just keeps kind of missing the mark. I feel like Peter a lot. <laughs> you know, I feel like I've got it nailed down. I'm like, yeah! And then all of a sudden someone's like, no, actually, no. I'm like, darn it! <laughs> But this is a very, I think we, as we look deeper into Peter's situation, it's a very nuanced situation. Because remember, like last week we talked about, Jesus was not disappointed that the disciples ran away. He wasn't like, oh man, these disciples abandoned me. He's like, thank God they get to live. Because like I said last week, most often um, people who were captured were were rounded up these with the rebel leaders. These rebel leaders would would rise up against Rome or against the Jewish leaders, and they would be rounded up with all of their followers. 
and their and the the leader and their followers would both be tried, tortured, and killed in the same manner. Like the, the you know the, the people, if they were turned over to the Roman government, they would be tortured and crucified behind and around their leader. Um, that's how they that's how they would die, and that's what Jesus did not want of his followers. He needed to bear the cross for his disciples, not to bear the cross with his disciples. This was not the cre- the cross that Peter was meant to die on. That comes later. Um, Peter's escape here is a bit different because it's one thing to simply run away like the rest of the disciples. They all like booked it. They're like, they're out. They're out of there. Like John Mark, you know, left his tunic and ran away naked. Right? He wrote himself into the book of Mark as the, as the kid that ran away naked in the garden. Um, <laughs> so that was the house that Peter shared his, uh, his last supper with. Go back and read it. It's very entertaining. But, <laughs> but Peter, Peter, like, you know, it's another thing to run away. But it's another thing to stay involved. He was following Jesus and trying to kind of stay involved in the situation, see what was going on, see if there might be a way, maybe see if there was a way to rescue him. Maybe break him out of jail, like, you know, rescue him and pull him out, bring him out. Um, but yet it's another thing to stay involved, yet it's another thing to actually actively reject the person you're following as well. Jesus is still glad, yet I think is sad for Peter. When, you know, it's, you know, when Jesus said, he, Jesus looked at him. Now the chronology of, of this is kind of all out, all out of whack because that, that part where Jesus looks at him is kind of in the middle of his probably you know, going back and forth to different rooms during his trial and stuff like that. Or, you know, we don't really know exactly the setting, but the chronology is kind of all out of whack here a little bit. Um, but because the, the, the fact remains is that Peter still denied Jesus. I think Jesus is sad for Peter in this moment. When he looks over at Peter and he knows what he's feeling and you know, making eye contact with someone. Isn't it difficult like when you, when you make eye contact with someone? Like I remember when I did something bad, like I remember this, this one time specifically, I was playing up in the, bal- in the balcony of our old Southern Baptist Church in Southern California, First Southern Baptist Church of El Monte, California. And I was playing up in the, in the balcony and they were trying to have a rehearsal of something in, down here on the stage. And just all of his kids were up there laughing and giggling and running around, kind of like my son and my son and my daughter do every week, you know. <laughs> but, but this is like it was distracting everyone. And my dad, you know, stormed up there and he like, you know, sat me against the wall. And he's like, "Stop!" You know, he's like, he even like grabbed my face, and I was like, like trying to like move my eyes. Every I did not want to make eye contact with my dad when I knew I did something wrong. Why? Because it's powerful to make eye contact with someone. It's powerful. It is a powerful thing to make eye contact with people. And in this moment, Peter is experiencing that feeling. He made eye contact with Jesus in the moment that he fulfilled the prophecy. And Jesus knew it. Peter knew it. He had just finished betraying, or not betraying, but denying Jesus three times. And the gut check that Peter just felt in this moment. I think Jesus was more sad for Peter. Now, Judas's actions were betray, betrayal. Peter did, you know, did not betray Jesus. He denied him. That's not betrayal. Peter denied Jesus. So Judas's actions were treasonous, but Peter's actions were just simply cowardly. 
Peter's re- Peter relationally distanced himself out of fear and cowardice. I think that still stung Jesus' heart. But I think Jesus already knew the fruit that it would produce in Peter's life. Jesus knew, and that's why I think Jesus was intentional about making eye contact to let Peter feel the sting of, of that separation. Of that, of G, of Peter distancing himself relationally from Jesus. This was a lesson in boldness that Peter needed, desperately needed to learn in this moment. Because why? Peter would never deny Jesus again. After this moment, this created a, an, an element <coughs> where he went off and wept. This is talking, we're, we're talking like ugly crying here. Like Peter went off and wept. This, the word in here wraps up this. It's not just like cried a little bit. It's the same thing as Jesus wept. He broke down weeping. Not just like getting teary-eyed, but you could hear it. You could sense it. You could see his body weeping, convulsing from the weeping. And Peter's lesson would be boldness. Think about this. Jesus knew what just happened. And then after his crucifixion and and then resurrection, he sought after Peter. He went looking for him to restore him. To show him that he loved him. And to invite that love from Peter. Kept asking, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, are you steadfastly devoted to me? Yes. Peter would never deny him again. Jesus sought to restore the relationship with him, but Jesus did not do that with the Pharisees. Jesus didn't come back to these people here who were beating him and questioning him and slapping him and and speaking blasphemous things over him to restore a relationship with him. Why? Because he never had a relationship with them in in the beginning. This is God we're talking about. The Pharisees did not have a relationship with God in this moment. They were denying him, blaspheming him, rejecting him, pushing him away. The God that they claimed to worship, they were ostracizing away from them. But Peter was sought after when he did something stupid. Jesus never stopped loving him. And there was never really anything that Jesus had against him. Peter isolated himself. That's the same thing like like us today. You never break your relationship with God. You never have to keep a short account with God because it's the shortest it'll ever be because it's gone. Your account is settled today, tomorrow, and forever with Jesus. uh, What happens is oftentimes we do the same thing as Peter. We might deny him either by our words or by our lifestyle. Because that's the thing. There's a there's a quote from this old, the old uh, DC Talk song, is that the greatest thing of the greatest cause of atheism in the world today are Christians, who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, 
and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyles. It's a Christianity that doesn't matter to a Christian. Does our faith matter to us? Now, we, we're, sure, we're going to make mistakes. We're going to stumble. We're going to make we're going to make stupid decisions, do stupid things. But understand that God is not distanced from us when we make those decisions. He's closer than a friend. He's there. All we have to simply do is recognize it. All we have to do is recognize and welcome His presence, because He's ready and willing always to welcome us into His. He wants you in His presence. He wants your relationship with Him whole. God will let us do the stupid things, even the things that we speak or act in. You know, the times when we you know speak or act in a cowardly way, so that we can learn, so that we can grow, so that we can mature, grow up in our faith. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus approves of the wrong things. The wrong thinking and the wrong behavior. Jesus isn't like, it's cool, don't worry about it. And he's like, no, 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 that crap's got to change. Your, your lifestyle, your thinking has to change. That's why the word repent, right? Metanoia, change your what? Your mind. Change your mind. Change your mind about your thinking, and, which will change your behavior. Because remember, God never condemns, I'm sorry, never condones sin. Romans 6, he's like, well, shall I just go on sinning so that grace may, may more abound? Can I, you know, he has grace for me. I'm, I'm teachable. Why don't I just go and sin more? I can be more teachable. <coughs> and the phrase is, may May it never be. Ah, heck no, is what Paul's saying, but stronger. With more gusto. Or what was the song? With more feeling. No. May it never be. It, what this does mean is that God can and does redeem the wrong and leads us into the right. God takes the wrong that we did, helps us learn from it, and helps us to grow and mature. Who are teachable. Are you teachable? God is in the business of redemption and transformation. If we are willing to let Him guide us into new territory, and not just try to get him to lead us into old territory. God, this worked back then. Make it work again. God wants to lead us into new territory, into, into a new trajectory as individuals and as a church. If your life isn't changing, you are not allowing God to do the transforming. If you're not going, you're not growing. If you keep going the same dumb places, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, doing the same dumb things, physically, mentally, and emotionally, you're not allowing God to truly redeem and transform your life. You're still walking in unbelief. You're not walking in the new creation. You're walking in the old ways. Romans 8, 28. Right? It says, for we know all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. The whole, the, the whole story of Joseph back in Genesis chapter 50, you know, where, where, uh, Genesis where he's sold into slavery. This terrible situation that God doesn't condone, he uses. He even says, 
For what you planned, this is Joseph talking to his brothers, what you planned for evil, what you planned for bad, or what you did for evil, God planned. And God worked for good. God can work all things. God can work anything. Let me say this again, because this is very important for us to get into our soul. God can work anything for good. He doesn't cause the evil. He doesn't even allow the evil. Oftentimes people get mad at God because, oh, God allowed that to happen. Sin happens. We live in a crap world following crap desires who sometimes even get get offended by a pastor saying crap from the pulpit. Been there, had that conversation. But it's a very good word for the kind of thinking that is. We live in a broken world that is ruled over by the prince of the power of the air, the rulers and the authorities and, and the powers, principalities in the unseen realm. And so God is the one that we run to. God is the, God is the one that, whose presence we seek and desire and yearn for when crap happens, when evil happens to us, when devastating and awful things happen in this world. We run to God. We encourage one another to run to the presence of God. Run to the embrace of the Father. To encourage love and good works for the Lord. Jesus had grace for Peter because he was teachable, malleable, transformable. Peter didn't, you know, here's the thing. Peter learned. He was teachable, which means he learned. He was willing to change his mind and change his trajectory, to change his actions, but first it had to change here and here first. Peter didn't continue in that cowardice and fear. He mourned for his stupidity and unbelief, right? wept bitterly, and then changed his mind. God transformed his life. I mean, just listen. Listen to these words. That, uh, you know, of, of Peter's bold words after Jesus redeemed and transformed his life. <coughs> this is this conversation with the the religious rulers. We'll talk about this later. Uh, so they're t- you know they're they're berating Peter and saying, you know, Peter and John saying, stop preaching in Jesus' name, stop healing in Jesus' name, for heaven's sake, stop healing people. Can you believe it? Stop healing people. It's like going into a hospital. Doctor, stop operating on people and saving their lives. Just let them die. Really? <laughs> this, so that's basically what these religious, you know, rulers, these, these chief priests are, are saying to Peter and John, Peter and John. He said, and they answer them. They're like, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. After threatening them further. They released them. They found no way to punish them because the people were all giving glory to God over what had been done. For this sign of healing had been performed on a man over 40 years old. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. But these words, listen to those words of Peter. We will not, I will never deny the name of Jesus ever again. I learned my lesson. I learned my lesson. And I'm changing my mind and I'm changing my future. And he ended up dying by being crucified upside down. Be 
because he didn't feel that he even deserved to die the same way as his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's like, hang me upside down. And so we see Peter, and then we see this juxtaposition of these other characters. I like to use that word, characters. Silence for the, for the I'm sorry. I forgot to change that slide. It should be the incredulous, which I'll get to in a second here. For the incredulous. Luke focuses more on the Roman trial because he's a Gentile. He's speaking, he's writing to Gentile people who don't necessarily understand, you know, Jewish ways. So he's writing to this, this Roman, Roman crowd, this Jew, or this Gentile crowd. Um, cause Matthew, I mean, Matthew himself specifically gears his gospel toward Jewish people and spends quite a bit of time on these trials. This, these trials lasted all night. Uh, and that's why it, it said that it took, it took a long time. That's why the, the sun was starting to come up and the rooster crowed. You know, right? Um, but Luke gives us important information enough, um, for a Jewish, or no, I'm sorry, for a Gentile non-Jewish audience. So there's two views of this of this trial. Um, one that this was an illegal trial in the middle of the night. This was against Jewish laws and traditions that were written in the Mishnah and the Talmud. These different uh, Jewish you know traditions of you know traditional books that were written before Jesus came. And so there's this this first view is that it was illegal. Second is that this was actually a more non-official trial in order to drum up convince, you know, convincing or convicting evidence uh, for the Roman tribunal. They're basically just kind of collecting enough evidence against Jesus in a non-formal way in order to, to present these charges. Hey, kind of like a bird in the ear. Like, hey, Pilate, hey, Roman guy, you got this insurrectionist over here trying to write, you know, raise heck. You should kill him. Right? We're just letting you know... This is what we said. So basically, they're just trying to drum up as much information for the Romans as possible so that they'll take care of their problem because they didn't have enough evidence. Right? Until he says, you say that I am, or I am what you say that I am, or I am as you say. It's kind of different ways of interpreting that that phrase. I think that the phrase most likely is the I, I am as you say, or... Um, you know, I am a, basically I am what you're accusing me of, is in essence of what, what Jesus is trying to tell them, um, and that's why at the end they're like, "Oh, we got enough evidence, cool for us." So basically, like they they know that the Romans don't care about that, but they feel that they that the Romans will respect their laws, respect their traditions, and crucify because they've done their their work before them before, right? The, the Romans have done the Jewish the, the work of, for the Jews before. And so they're hoping that the Romans will take over and basically execute the sentence that they want to be executed, which is Jesus dying. But it's very interesting that they had, from the moment that they started this, they desired him to be crucified, which is ironic, as we'll get to in a couple, in a, in a couple weeks, um, that the crucifixion happened exactly the way that it shows in, in uh, Isaiah 53 and in, in Psalm 22. Stop calling me. Is that still going on my phone? Is this is it still going there? No. Shoot. Oh, it's still recording. Okay. Just want to make sure. Okay. <laughs> Just want to make sure that it was still recording or broadcasting to Facebook because sometimes it'll mess it all up. Um, 
I'm going to answer that. Yeah, <laughs> right? Right. That's the problem with using my phone for, for our camera. Right? <laughs> but I think there's kind of a mixture of the two. I think this was the official people coming together, distorting their ways, distorting their traditions, so that they can follow through with their execution. But I think that there was a mixture of audience here. I think that the, the guy who, as you'll read in, in the book of John, the guy who brought Peter in, because it says in, in, in John, the book of John, that there was already a follower of Jesus who was inside the trial, who got the, you know, the person, the guard, you know, the guard at the door to let Peter in. And I think that was, Dick, I think that was Nicodemus. I think Nicodemus and or Joseph of Arimathea. I think Jesus had won over several of the Pharisees and possibly even one or one or two of these chief priests that were fighting for him, or at least fighting for justice, fighting for the right way to do things. And we'll get to that in just a second here. But either way, it was an unethical trial of false allegations and accusations against Jesus so that the Romans would crucify him. Because remember, the Jewish leaders always had crucifixion in mind when they were trying Jesus. Because here's the thing, they, they not only wanted Jesus to die, they wanted Jesus to suffer. The word that we use, excruciating, comes from the word for crucifixion. Think about that. When you say you're in excruciating pain, you're saying I'm being crucified with this pain. They wanted Jesus to suffer. It's one thing just to, you know, and I think we see that, you know, they might get, have gotten more and more emboldened because they take matters into their own hands later on and kill Stephen by stoning him to death. So I think the, the, the rise of the church started to impassion the, the Jews to not, to, you know, to start not caring what the Romans thought. Like, well, you killed him, but you couldn't keep him dead or dead enough. And so we're going to take matters into our own hands and make sure that these blasphemous, you know what's, die, get killed off. The crucifixion of Jesus was the result of a dehumanized humanity that had lost its way and spat in God's face. This word that they said, saying other blasphemous things, they had to distort God's way. They had to distort God's way, His truth, and His way of life so much that what they were saying was actually blasphemous against Yahweh, whom they claimed to worship. All Jesus would give them was silence. The entire night, I think that's probably why, they, why Luke just kind of focused on this one, because the one time in the entire, you know, the entire night where Jesus actually said something, Think about this. For about eight, nine, ten hours, being questioned, being accused. Right? I mean, this, this, it's fulfilling Isaiah 53. They had no idea. <clears throat> he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shears, he did not open his mouth. This fulfilled Scripture. So the question here this morning is, which are you? Which are you? Are you teachable? Faith, uh, another word to that one would be faithful. Are you faithful to what God has for you? That God is God, we are not? 
that we know the goodness of goodness God has towards us and that goodness of God changes us? Do we let the goodness of God's way, truth and life change our lives? Change our minds? Or are we incredulous? Now, here, here's the definition of incredulous. Unwilling. No matter what facts, evidence, or anything to the contrary of our beliefs is presented to us, we remain unwilling. We're not, we're no longer ignorant. Right? I know that this Bible is brown. But if I am unwilling to let it be brown, I will always say it's red. Well, it's red enough. It's red. No, it's blue. Because I'm unwilling for this to be brown. It can be anything else. It can be pink for all I care. But I cannot say that this is brown. Self-righteous people consistently play the role of God, but they are very very poor substitutes. This is incredulity is 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 so often I think you know we kind of might need to think of it as being spiritually adulterous. Look at the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi or Malachi as I like to say. It's all about this stiff-necked people of God, right? All the people that keep forgetting who their God is and turning against their God because they have built up this incredulity in their hearts to say, I know and I've seen and I've heard, but I am unwilling. And God keeps calling them adulterous. He uses some very, very uh, colorful language for his people in the Old Testament. Go read Ezekiel. It's very fun, especially chapter 23. We can also make people and things substitutes for God in our lives as well. Not so much making ourselves and our own opinions, but making others and others' opinions. Or making a thing or a substance our God that we develop our life around. That that brings us into that reality that we like. And so we can either run to ourselves to create the reality that we like, or we can run to others and other people's opinions or other people's interpretations of reality that are not God's, but we like better. Or even our perception of God that we like better than the, the one that he, that he puts. And oftentimes, this is the way of the religious. They like the pull yourself up by your bootstraps. They, they like the, you better repent, you dirty sinner. They like that like self-abuse because it feels good. It feels humble. But all it is is abusing God's creation that He loved and He died for. He took the scourging. He took the beating so that we wouldn't do that to ourselves. So that we wouldn't take that from anyone. Because God's not going to give that. Being raptured by the goodness of God. This is a way that we, we live our lives in this constant evaluation and reevaluation, I like to call it. To ask ourselves that question. Because oftentimes we need, we need to remind ourselves, who's in the driver's seat? Who is God? 
Who is God in my life? Who is actually taking the charge? Who is taking, who is playing the role of God today? Is it God? Is it me? Is it the influencers that I listen to on social media? Is it my friends? Is it my family? What guides your life? God and his word, ourselves, substances? Do we have to go to a substance to give us the the feelings of reality that we want? Media, social media, healthy relationships with God and others. Relationships aren't bad. Oftentimes, I mean, if you look at if you look at the, the New Testament, it's all about relationships. That's how we're supposed to get our perception and our and our understanding of God's kingdom and God's goodness is by being with God's people. To encourage one another, to spur one another on to love and good works. To remind each other of the way. That's why we were first called followers of the way. That was our first name. And then the second name was saints. Those are the only two names that were given in, in the Bible as, a, as, a, as an affirmative. It's to the saints who are in Belgrade. To the saints who are at Shift Church this morning. That's who you are. Reminding you of your identity in Christ. Reminding you of the power of the gospel in our lives. Reminding you of the goodness of walking by the Holy Spirit. Teaching and edifying our lives. Teaching and equipping you, the work of the saints, to do the work of ministry one to another. There's a, there's a guy, I mean, think about this. Walking by the Spirit. What does it look like to walk by the Spirit? Well, I know a guy I had a conversation with this week, and he loves walking by the Spirit. Just listening. All right, God, where do you want me to go today? What do you want me to do? Right? And he's like, all right, God, I'll go. I don't really, okay, I wanted to go to that, that music concert like 15 hours away, but I don't know if I want to, but I'll go because I think you're telling me to. I, think, I believe you're, you're uh, yep, I believe you're telling me to, so I'm going to go. He loaded up in the car, drove 15 hours, was there. He's like, oh, okay, this is a cool band, cool band. Well, it's okay, band. Why am I here, God? And he was like about to leave, and then he saw this woman crying. He said, are you okay? Can I pray for you? That's what he always in, in, you know, starts with that line. How can I, how, can I pray for you? Is there something I can pray for you about? She started weeping. She's like, oh, no, I'm, good. I'm, I'm just going to meet my friends. I, you know. And then he kind of saw her slow down and stop. Went back over and was like, ma'am, I, I don't mean to like, follow you or be weird or anything, but I feel like God has brought me here to you. Like, Is there something I can pray for you about? And she just broke down. And, and he was praying. He was like, I don't really know what to pray for this woman. I'm just praying the goodness over her and God's love her, remind her. You know. But... Some, the, the Spirit was speaking through him and she was just being more and more poured over by the, whole, by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And God created a healing in her life that day and she left with a smile. And he went home and he's like, that's why. That's why I went. Walking by the Spirit, speaking up when we feel like it, not riding your horse and going and, and talking with someone about you know, the things that God is working in your life. God is, is leading us in these moments, right? If we are willing and able to walk by His Spirit, pray, listen, go, pray, minister. Pray, listen, go. Pray and minister. Can God lead, can God lead us to speak life into our family, our church family, the people in our lives around us? How does God want you to minister to the lives that you've been entrusted to.
You are, the question, are you teachable? Are you teachable? Are you clay in the potter's hands to live into his reality and not just try to live into the virtual reality and the, and the, the false realities, the, the augmented realities around us? Are we willing to live by his reality? Body, soul, and spirit. Are you incredulous against living your life by the direction of the Holy Spirit? Or are you willing to live your life by the Holy Spirit? If God feels silent and distant to you, maybe you've got your answer. Because remember, God is grace for the teachable. He engages, He connects, He leads, He speaks with the teachable, but has silence for the incredulous. And so as we, as we wrap up our time here this morning, what reality are we running to? Are we running to the reality of the world around us? Or are we running to God's reality? What are the, what are the things that we, that we tend to, to run to in our lives to create the reality that we want? Are we willing to go to God first? And even having the the mental know-how to say, God, I'm feeling this. God, I'm hearing this. But I want to know your way. I don't know if I'm supposed to be feeling this way. I don't know if I'm supposed to be thinking this way. I want to bring it before you. So, Lord, I'm just going to sit with you in this moment and let you teach me. I'm teachable, God. Teach me. Guide me. Stir within me. Lead me me into your word if, if that's where you want me to go. Lord, bring people to me. Because that's the coolest thing. God will bring people to you. You know, like you, you, have, you ever heard that, that word, you know, are your ears burning? Oftentimes it's God saying, hey, call that person or talk to that person. It's so funny. I'll do this all the time with, with Cody. Like I'll, I'll be like literally typing to him and he's like, bro, I just thought about you. How are you doing? I'm like, whoa, that's so weird. All the time. It's so weird. Like God brings people to our hearts and our minds. That's not a coincidence. Rule number 39, there's no such thing as a coincidence. It's probably God speaking. Are you listening? Are you willing to listen? Are you willing to change your mind to go after his reality and forego or forfeit yours? Are you willing to take off the glasses of this world and to see reality as God desires it for you and that God desires for his kingdom? By, you know, picking up his lens for life and reality. Lord, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we pray, Lord, that this would this this time would just be a blessing to our hearts. God, that you would teach us ways that we would take this and, and that we would learn and encounter and engage in new ways of connecting with you, Lord, so that we can walk by your Holy Spirit every day. That we can spend time in your presence. Lord, we don't need music. We don't need even to read the Bible necessarily. We can just sit there in your presence and let you lead us. Lead us as we do pick up your word. Lead us as we do listen to certain music. But Lord, I just, I pray, I pray that we would have the boldness and the willingness to just sit still and listen for, to you and where you would guide our hearts and guide our spirit. Help us to to rest with you this week. 
Help us to sit with you in the cool of the morning. I'm going to go for a walk with you in the cool of the morning with your presence, Lord. And Lord, reveal yourself to us. Lead us, Lord. Guide us. Glorify yourself in and through us, Lord. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.